If you're going to follow along today, we're in Acts chapter 9. I know it's not a typical place to start, uh, but join us in Acts 9. We're also today, we knew we'd have extra guests and, and things like that, so we'll put all the verses up today. We have baptisms today, which is super exciting. I'm glad that we get to do that. Um, some fun ones and special ones. Uh, folks, I know, yay, huh? Your second service. We'll celebrate you second service. Yeah. All right. But uh, yeah, great fun. And, and just know this. Um, I'm going to invite you, if you've never been baptized, if you've never given yourself over to following Jesus and haven't been baptized, I'm going to invite you, if you want to, you can be baptized today. And I, and, and I know you weren't prepared for that, but just know we're prepared for you. We have shorts and t-shirts and towels, and, and if that's you, if you've never been baptized, if you want to make that profession of faith, um, I would be glad to see you after the message and talk to you. Uh, but today, we get to join in that. And so we pick up the story you just heard as Terry read from Luke 24 uh, in telling us the story of, of going to the tomb and finding the resurrected Jesus. And so the gospel really hinges on the resurrection. In fact, at one point, Paul writes to the church that if the resurrection didn't happen, his gospel's in vain, right? As Jesus lived, he said, I will live, I will die, and I will raise again back to life. Now, anyone can say that, and anyone can live and die. In fact, we will live and die. But only Jesus, only God in human flesh can live and die and raise from the grave as he said he would. And if that story is true, if the gospel is that God loved us so much that he wouldn't leave us to our sin, that we chose to go our own way, but God's love meant he would pursue us and he would do so in human flesh, that Jesus would come down, God, eternal God, creator God, would come down and put on human flesh and become fully human to live the life that you and I are called to live but have failed. And to die a death in our place, to trade himself as a penalty for sin. And then be laid in the grave, the author of life, laid in a grave dead. And then resurrect to give us new life. Not just forgiveness, right? Forgiveness means that anything we've done wrong, we've still done wrong, but we're, we're not held accountable for it. But we're still that. New life is that Jesus transforms us. And that he gives us, in his resurrection, he gives us new life. That we don't have to be defined by our worst decisions. That we can be find by, defined by his best decisions. That in Christ, we become his righteousness. That when God sees us, he sees sons and daughters because of Jesus. And if that's true, if Jesus really did raise, raise from the dead, then how can that not be transformative? How can that not be something that causes us to orient all of our lives around that? So I'll give you a starting idea this morning. How can we believe that Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave and live as if this doesn't change everything, right? As if this isn't transforming, right? If that's really true, how could we just celebrate that today and not every day? If Jesus truly is alive, how can we not seek to follow him with every fiber of our being every day, every day of life? Secondly, what would make such a difference in your life today that it would make you want to worship and learn 
about Jesus all year long. And, and I'm not saying that just to the guests, I'm saying to everybody, right? We all get caught up and dragged into things. I made a comment, I think, uh, it was last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, that sometimes Christians spend more time on YouTube than they do with Jesus, right? Or TikTok, or pick your, you know, pick your medium, right? Your social media. But how could, if this is true, how could we not give everything to Jesus? And so we're going to be in Acts 9 today, but I'm going to start, and we'll put this on the screen again, Acts 8. And this introduces us to a man named Saul. It says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we're introduced to this man named Saul, who is a Jewish religious leader, and he is persecuting the church. And so here's where we leave off. We saw that great story, those two young girls, as, as we hear that story of the resurrection, right? And, and, and we see Jesus ascend back to heaven with the message that his disciples are to go tell the world. I love that the two older stick figures were on the phone, the younger one was texting, right? I mean, I... <laughs> call it what you will, right? But... That goes on, and that breaks out in Jerusalem, and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands come to faith, and the church is birthed, right? The followers of Jesus, as a community, are birthed into Jerusalem, but their commission by Jesus was to go into the world and to go to Judea next to them and, and, and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, and so as this takes place and as the church grows, persecution breaks out against the church. There's a power struggle, and, and, and there's just all these things going on. And there's this man named Saul, who is a persecutor of Christians. And at the first martyrdom of a Christian, as Stephen is stoned to death in Jerusalem, Saul is there, and they're giving him honor as a leader, and he's approving of this death. And so we don't have a lot of this. Um, the closest thing we have is modern-day religious terrorism fundamentalist terrorism, right? That, that people actually would kill thinking that's pleasing to God. And listen, and the church has had its problems hundreds of years ago. It's, it's been a mess, right? But we have people alive today that will kill for their faith. Imagine that. Imagine living amongst them, right? Not separated by oceans, but living with them, and they're willing to execute you just because of their belief and that kind of feel, that modern-day Osama bin Laden kind of vibe, that's Saul. That's who Saul is if you're a Christian in first-century Jerusalem. So Acts 9, starting in verse 1, says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's the early name for Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so as Christianity breaks out amongst Judaism and becomes a sect within Judaism, and the separation there is Jews have been waiting on a Messiah for thousands of years. God's promise of hope, redemption, and victory have either come to fulfillment in Jesus or they haven't. And in Jerusalem, Christians are those that believe that Judaism has been fulfilled in Christ, all the promises of God, and that that message is for everyone. Or there are Jews that are still waiting and unconvinced. 
And so as those two kind of factions, if you will, of Judaism break out, the persecution of Christians begins. So here's a note for you. Saul is a religious zealot who believes that persecuting Christians is honoring to God, like modern-day terrorists who kill in the name of religion, as we just said. That's who he is. And so you can imagine the zeal. You can imagine the emphasis. He thinks he is pleasing God, right? If we think we're pleasing God by gathering to worship, right? And none of us love wearing masks, right? We may choose to do so, or we may do so out of submission to authority, right? But we do so most of, and those of us who would rather not, would say that, right? Who do it anyways, typically are doing it out of submission to God, right? As we gather in here, it's not our first choice, but it honors those who are in authority over us, and we do that out of worship to God. And so we do those things. We, we, we give ourselves to those things, even things we don't like. And so imagine Saul is persecuting, thinking it brings glory to God for him to do so. So he is a zealot about persecution. Verse 3, it says, Now as Saul was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting him? So it's midday, it's sunny out, right? It's bright outside and something so bright that it will blind him here in a minute. Something that is so bright that it outshines the sun and then speaks to Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? So again, you're Saul. You've gone to the synagogues, you've gone to the religious leadership and you're gonna go from, from church to church, if you will, finding those who profess Jesus and you're going to arrest them beat them, drag them back to Jerusalem, whatever you do. And on your way to a city called Damascus, something shines brighter than the sun and then speaks and calls your name. Verse 5, And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Right here, right now, Saul has to rethink everything he believes, right? Everything that he believes right now is in question. He was persecuting people who profess Jesus to be God, who follow him, who believe that he is God's redeemer, God's Messiah, the fulfillment of all God's promises of hope, of redemption, of victory. He believes that's wrong, and now that Jesus speaks to him. Everything he believes is in question now. Imagine some fact just dropped right here, right now, with us. And it contradicts all that we believe, but we know it's true. We have to back up, and now we have to rethink everything. Saul's on his way to persecute Christians, and that very Christ they follow is speaking to him from heaven. So here's a note for you. Saul is confronted with his belief about Jesus. Until now, Saul believed that Jesus was just a guy who died on a cross like thousands of others. Hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, were crucified. Until now, that's who Jesus was, just another guy. Now Jesus is someone entirely different. Now his faith in God is entirely in question. Now his entire belief system, his mission, his purpose, who he is, is entirely up for grabs right now. Verse 6, Jesus continues, But rise and enter into the city, and you will be told what you are to do. 
The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. I love that others hear this. They don't see what he sees. They're not being talked to, but they hear it. They're with Saul. They're encountering the same thing. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank, I bet. He's blinded by Jesus on the road. Hungry, thirsty, not so much. Blind, afraid, and rethinking everything consumes him. As he sits in Damascus, unable to see everything he's ever believed, everything he's been strongest for and, 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 and against, everything is now paradigmatically being un, unwound inside of him. Three days without sight. Here's a note for you. Saul encounters Jesus leaving him blind. Ironically, his eyes are open for the first time that Jesus is alive, right? For the first time, Paul or Saul, excuse me, is spiritually eyes open. Saul must change everything now. Now for us, if this is true, next note, if this is true for us too, then if Jesus is alive, we must orient our lives around him. No less than Saul on the road to Damascus being told, listen, what you're doing, you're going the wrong direction. You have a chance now. If this is true, if Jesus is alive, consider that. If he lived and he died and he rose again, he actually is alive right now. That should cause us to change everything. No one else has ever done that. right? No one else will ever do that. If this is truly God become human to reveal himself to us because he desires to be with us, reconciled to us, in relationship to us. If God wants that so bad, the God who created everything wants to overcome our brokenness, our failure, our sin, that he would join us in our story, that he would join us in our life, that he would become us so that we can become like him, that should change everything. If you died and rose again and lived, I'd want to know all about it. Fair? If that's the case, how can we not live every day, everything, every bit of us for this Jesus? Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. So there's a Christian in, in, in the city. And as he's praying, Jesus tells him, listen, there's this guy. He's praying right now, right? Saul's not eating, not drinking. He's praying. He is confused. Everything's wrong. He says, but he's seen a vision of you coming and laying your hands on him so he can see again. Go talk to him. Verse 13, but Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's like, I know who Saul is. You sure? Right? Like, I'm not sure. Right? I remember we were, it was right after 9-11. I was a part of a really big church in Orange County. And we opened up our doors and we had people, we, people, you remember, if you were alive and you were going to church then, 
churches filled up after 9-11. It didn't take too long, but they kind of settled back to what was normal. But in the days following, we prayed together as a nation. We did things. And, and I remember this large group of people, this big room, uh, and people were going around, we were just kind of praying, 40 or 50 of us, or something like this, this big circle. And uh, got to this little girl who's in middle school, and I'll never forget her, and she prayed for the terrorists. And I remember in my heart just saying, I'm not even sure I want good things for them. Although that fixes the problem, and she's right, I'm not sure my heart's there. That's Ananias right now. Like, this is a persecutor of the church. I've heard what evil he's done in Jerusalem. I'm not sure that's where my heart is, right? Verse 15, but Jesus said to him, go for Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer, suffer for the sake of my name. In churches across America, and I'm sure beyond, but especially in America, Western American church, the, the gospel will be shared today. We'll talk about the living Jesus. And many will say things to the effect of that Jesus wants you to have great things. He wants you to have a great life. You know, he wants to forget all your sin. He wants you to be in eternity in heaven with him and, you know, fix all your problems. And, and it'll be a very flowery picture, right? That's not the story Saul gets. He says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. And as Christians, I will say it's not, it doesn't always go well, right? Just because I've come to faith, and it doesn't mean everything is perfect, right? For sure, I'm not perfect. For sure, marriage isn't magically perfect. My wife is, because she's live streaming right now. She's perfect. I'm very flawed, right? So, um, now I can have lunch when I get home, so it's cool, right? Life isn't easy. Christians got the pandemic just like non-Christians, right? Christians suffered on the same economy. It's like non-Christians, right? Racial tension, politics, and division, all doesn't matter. Life isn't going to be perfect just because you come to faith. That's not what Saul is told. In fact, what he's told is, Jesus is alive. That ought to be enough. And you're going to end up suffering to get that message out. And it's enough for Saul. Right? We're going to read the rest of the story. It's enough for him. The fact that Jesus is living is enough for him to endure hardship and suffering for the rest of his life. In fact, Saul, at the end of this book, will go on to, will, it'll close up while he's on house arrest or in house arrest in Rome, awaiting his trial, which will eventually, eventually result in his dying for his faith. He will be martyred as he martyred others. And Jesus isn't going to mislead him and say, listen, so it's all going to be really good. He says, listen, I'm alive, and that's enough. I'm alive, I'm real, eternity is forever. And I have chosen you to be my witness here in Jerusalem and yet to Gentiles as well, to tell them that I'm alive. Because that fact is transformative. That is enough, no matter what this life looks like. If Jesus is alive, it's enough to follow him. So here's a note for you. Jesus doesn't offer Saul a life of happiness, wealth, or even eternity in heaven. The fact that Jesus is alive transcends all of that. Yes, he gets some of that. He doesn't get all of it. For sure, he's not going to be wealthy. But he will get some of those things, but he will not have an easy road. If Jesus is alive, it's enough whether you have a hard life or an easy life, whether you suffer or whether you're just joyful. 
Whatever is he, if he's alive, he's alive. It's enough. If it's true, it's transformative. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's just pause there. Here's what Ananias says. You know that Jesus that you're afraid of? He sent me, right? Like, don't shoot the messenger, remember. Remember Jesus? He's the one that got me here. Now we've got the ground rules. He wants me to give you back your sight. But when you see me, remember, Jesus sent me here, right? You crazy terrorists, don't kill me. That's what he's saying, right? That you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, it says, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Saul is remade right now. And, and it's, it has nothing to do with his sight. Sight's a benefit. Sight was, and, and for, for my th- way of thinking, it was that you will know that I sent this guy, says Jesus. I'm going to give you your sight back, right? Like, it's just, it's just so Ananias is there, and that's, it's so that Jesus will keep his word to Saul. I told him to get his sight back. You're going to give him his sight, but here's what it is. But everything for Saul's changed. The very Jesus I was persecuting his followers and denying who he was is now in charge of my life. I don't mean just the blindness. I mean now he's in charge, right? Because we're not doing this road to Damascus thing again. We're not going through that. I'm going to follow him. Everything is different. I came to faith just 24, 24 years ago. Uh, in an unconventional way, for sure. If you're a part of this church, you know this. Uh, if you're our guest here today, I'll short form it. Uh, but I had a long battle with addiction, a drug addiction. Uh, that led to crime, which led to gangs. It was in and out of jail, in and out of prison. Spent most of the 80s and 90s uh, incarcerated. And in 97, on my way back to prison, I'd only been out for 90-something days, 100 days, on my way back, I remember praying in a jail cell. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you don't, it, not like you hear about, it wasn't, go God, let me out. I was comfortable in, I'd been in so much. It was the realization that God was real and that I was broken. And that I didn't need to get out, I needed to be changed. And that if God was real, and my prayer was not super flowery, it was kind of like, okay, if you're real, then change me and I'll follow you. But I'm doing life on the installment plan here, and it's not changing. And my addiction, I, I've been able to overcome that. And so if, if, if you're real, then meet me right here. Change me. I'll follow you. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. And, and at that moment, without the boring details, I don't know if that was going to be in or out. It could have been in. I didn't think, if you told me it looked like this, I'd have laughed at you, just for the record. (laughs) But inside or outside, what I knew is I needed something. And Jesus met me in that moment, powerfully. Uh, The next day, Jesus healed me of a drug addiction that I couldn't overcome. And him knowing I was going to be surrounded by it, uh, that I wouldn't be able to do it. Transformed me. I couldn't wait. I paroled on a Sunday morning, and my now wife, who is live streaming at home, uh, was my girlfriend then, uh, long-time girlfriend, uh, put up with a lot of dumb things I did. We were in church Sunday night together. Couldn't wait. 
I couldn't wait to do this. Because Jesus is alive. Because that truth transformed who I was. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't immediate. I didn't become, it was horrible. But here I am. Right? Yeah. More powerful than that story is the story of Saul who persecuted Christians. I've always understood that story through that lens of that level of depravity and anti-God. Verse 19, second half of it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, meaning Saul, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Saul is forever changed. The message he persecuted, he's now telling, he's now proclaiming, he's now preaching. So he is a religious leader, well-known among the Jewish community, a high-level, highly respected religious leader who was defending Judaism in his eyes and, and, and pushing out what he thought was heresy. Come to find out he was wrong, he needed to be over here, but he's still that guy. So he goes into the synagogues and they want to hear from him, and he begins saying, hey, Jesus is God, I was wrong. Like, I was just wrong. Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. He's became flesh. He lived. He was crucified for our sins. He was dead. He was buried. And he lives now. He's alive. And people seen him. He's alive. And I've seen him, Saul says. I know he's alive. A note for you. What could possibly make a person that was so anti-Jesus and transform into a worshiper of Jesus? What, what could make a person that? It was learning that Jesus was really alive. It wasn't the forgiveness of sins. He didn't think he was sinful. He thought he had a good, solid faith. He loved God. He was a worshiper of God. He was just wrong. He was a passionate worshiper of God, but he was passionately wrong. And then he met Jesus and figured out Jesus is alive. And it changed everything. Verse 21, and all who heard Saul were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. If we believe that Jesus lives, it has to change everything. It, it, we can't just keep going. It can't be the same thing. If he lived and he died and he's dead, or he popped back up for a few days, but he's dead, then we should be at home sleeping in. But if he's alive, if Jesus truly rose from the grave, and the people that abandoned him at the cross will go on and give their lives for him, and people who persecuted the church will be confronted by him and give their life for him, literally die at the, Paul would be beheaded, die at the end of a sword proclaiming Jesus is alive. Peter, that abandoned him when he got betrayed and denied him, in fact, once to a little girl, will go on and be crucified, proclaiming Jesus is alive. The book of Acts is not a story about if you say this prayer, Jesus will forgive your sins, you go to heaven. It's a book about people telling that Jesus is alive and that that fact must change everything. So I'm going to put some things on the screen for you. Saul, who becomes Paul, if we didn't know that already, Starts churches, writes half the New Testament, becomes an early church leader. In fact, becomes the most prominent first century church leader aside from Jesus himself. 
all because he realizes that Jesus is really and truly alive. What would make such a difference in your life today that you would want to worship and learn about Jesus all year long, all day, every day? I don't mean just on Sundays. I mean give your life to following Jesus, that he would have control of your relationship, your marriage, your parenting, your job, your finances, your schooling, whatever it might be, that he becomes primary and everything else becomes secondary. So how do we respond to that today? You know, for those of us who go to church all the time, we need to hear that Jesus must be in charge of everything. And we hold back things all the time. Right? If, you're, if you're our guest here today, here, one thing you should know about Generations Church, we're really clear on the fact that we don't have it all together. Super clear on that fact alone. And we know we're not always the best witnesses of Jesus. We know we don't always do the best at portraying him to the community or to others or online or whatever it might be. But we should do better. That we should give everything, like our keyboards before we post, just for the record, right, on social media, that Jesus should be in charge of that. Now you're awake. All right, so <laughs> if, you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, everything should be given to Jesus. If you're here and, and, and you come and go, and as you feel the need or, or the desire to show up, you kind of ebb and flow that way, you should know if he's alive, it's, it should be all about him. Everything should be all about Jesus. And this can't be a seasonal thing. This can't be, a, oh, I feel good today, so I don't need church, or, I, you know, I really were in a struggle, I need church, or the opposite, however you do it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, today's the day. If he's alive, you need to follow him. If he truly lived and died and rose again, that should change everything. If that's not true, we're all wasting our time. And really, it'd be better to be at home, for sure. But if he's alive, it changes everything. So Paul will go on to write these words in Romans. He says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not to be put to shame. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe he's alive, all you have to do is, is follow him. We looked at the words on Friday night of the thief being crucified next to him. He says, Jesus, I want to go with you in your kingdom. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It, it's that easy. It's not that easy to live it out. Don't get me wrong. It's hard as the days go by. It's hard not to take everything back that you've given over to Jesus. But it is that easy to come to faith. That you can just tell Jesus you want to follow him. He writes to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? The resurrection is about new life. If Good Friday is about our forgiveness of sins, the thing that has separated us from God, then Easter Sunday is about God making all things new in us. That we have the power of his resurrection transforming us. That struggle with addiction or that struggle in your life, whatever it might be, that there is power to overcome that. We're not just a forgiven version of a broken human, but we're empowered by the Spirit of Christ to be made new. That's the resurrection. That's Easter Sunday. Peter, as he goes out and preaches this first message, the first proclaimed message of the gospel, of the church at all, happened in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended. And the religious around him, the Jews around him that were gathered for another feast called Pentecost, a feast of first fruits, were gathered there and they hear the church and they come and ask questions. And 
Peter proclaims the gospel. At the end of it, they say, okay, well, how do we get how do we, How do we follow this Jesus? And here's what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. He goes on and says, this promise is for you and for your children. Repent and be baptized. Turn away from who you are. Turn towards Jesus. Be baptized. Follow him in obedience. And he will forgive your sins and empower you with his spirit. He'll make you new. He will transform you. That's a promise. So we need to celebrate people kind of crossing that line of faith. And if that's you, if you're hearing this today, and you're like, I, I want to do that too. And you've never been baptized. I, I would love to talk to you. I'll be in the lobby. Uh, we're going to go back into worship. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to go back into worship. Uh, all of this is worship. We're going to go back into singing songs of worship. And then we're going to gather outside for baptisms. We get to baptize Gavin and, and, and Dylan. Uh, and that's exciting. Yeah. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. You are the God who never fails. You are the one who is alive. No one except you has ever lived and died and rose again from the dead and remained alive. Jesus, you alone are the living king. As they shouted Hosanna and wanted to make you king, they didn't understand it had to go through the cross. But here we are 2,000 years later, and we know you had to die, and you had to live again, and you are alive today. We worship a living Jesus, a living God, one who knows our struggles, one who knows our pain, who suffered on our behalf, but rose, having victory over Satan's sin and death. You are alive. For those who are here today, Lord, we all need to give more of ourselves to you. Some for the first time, and some of us just again and again need to give all of ourselves to you. So meet us here today, Jesus. Help us to follow you with every fiber of our being. Help us to know that you are the living God and allow us to be changed by that. For those who desire to be baptized, I pray that you would stir in their hearts, Lord. Allow them to join your family. It's in your name we pray. Amen.